Hello, I'm Jimmy Owens, and welcome to another episode of Under the Mic. We have Leo Stoddicker here with us tonight, and Leo, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Jimmy. Big fan of the show. Happy to get started. Yeah, we usually have longtime Pat McGann, uh, co-owner of the website, but he's out tonight, so you get the call up. Let's jump right in. Uh, the trade deadline's just about a week away, and who do you think are the real contenders for the Cup? I think if we're talking about contenders, we have to start with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think they have have the President's Trophy basically won right now. Everybody else is just competing for second place. So they're my favorites in the East. And then got to be either Nashville or San Jose. Nashville or San Jose. I totally agree with you there. And I think the problem most of the time is, you know, it's not every year that the President's Trophy winner ends up winning the Cup. And for me, I really look at a team like Toronto who brought in a Jake Muzzin on the blue line. I really like them to win the Cup, mostly because I just don't think a team like Tampa Bay can stay hot all year long. But right until, until they until they get knocked out, they're the favorites to win it without a doubt. Um, I think you uh, talking about the Presidents Trophy. That's almost seemed like a curse in recent years. How many times have the Washington Capitals won it and then exited the playoffs in the early round? So I think. That adds pressure, and some teams can't handle it. But I think Tampa Bay, they have that playoff experience, so they could probably handle it better than other teams have. I totally agree with you there. And they're they're stacked in all regards. Like, they can beat you with their forwards, they can beat you with their defensemen, and they can beat you with their goaltending. Um, I, there's really – I don't know how a team like Tampa Bay got so good and so depth-filled, but they're going to be impossible to stop. Um and you look at some of the teams like like Montreal and Carolina or um, different teams like Vancouver and Minnesota that could really buy in and maybe get a trade deadline deal. Um, and then you look at some of the guys like Matt Duchesne and Mark Stone and Artemi Panarin. Do you see any teams really going in to buy in for a guy like Panarin? I Panarin, that's tough because... I think Columbus is still kind of in the playoff hunt, so I, they're going to have to make a decision within the next couple of days whether, because I think even if they do make the playoffs, they're not among the elite. They're still a young team that could maybe a couple of years away from contending. I mean, in two years, they might be better positioned to win and go all in, but right now they're still getting experience, getting that playoff experience. So if they do move him, I think... Panarin could certainly be an attractive piece, but I wonder what the asking price for him would be because you know he's gone at the end of the year. So maybe you're not going to really get a top prospect, but I'd say certainly a team would have to part with their first-round pick to acquire Panarin. And you have to, like, even if Columbus does keep him, like, that's the difference of maybe making it out of the first round for them, but it's a bargain of whether or not they're going to get anywhere further after that. Um, Definitely moving a guy like Panarin this year for actually getting something back so he doesn't walk just like how John Tavares did to the New York Islanders. Um, it does hurt them in the short run for this year's playoffs, but it definitely would help them in the next couple of years. Um, right. It's it's certainly like a crossroads for Columbus. Like They have to make a decision if they want to contend now or if they want to contend next year. And if, say, you get a, a first-round pick from a team and it ends up being, you know, in the 20s to the 31st overall pick, you could still find someone of value there that could be more ready when they're ready. And you, other teams need to realize that even if they get Panarin right now, that's still a 
player that might not re-sign with you. So it's a question of whether or not you want to give up a right. first-round draft pick for a rental that definitely will change your team, but might be gone at the end of the season. I think it's almost certain he's going to hit free agency. So it, it's almost one of those things where if you win a cup, it's it erases any long-term implications. Kind of like <clears throat> when the Blackhawks gave up those assets in 2015 and get Antoine Vermette and Kimo Timonen. Yeah, maybe it hurts now not having those picks, but if you win a cup, everything's clear. You're right. It's, it's the difference of when you win a cup for it, where is if you don't win a cup and you trade like a Philip Danoff and then all of a sudden he's playing in Montreal for top minutes and he could have been on the Hawks team, you know? Um, and it's close to, it's funny to look at how close teams are in the Western Conference of making the playoffs. You got Vancouver, Colorado, and Arizona and Chicago, all within three points of the wild card. Um, and bringing in a guy like Duchesne or Panarin would definitely help any of those teams, you know? Uh, yeah, I, the West is certainly up for grabs. So I think the teams you mentioned, Chicago, Colorado, Vancouver, and Arizona, I don't see them as buyers at all at this deadline. I think all of them playoffs are a bonus, and they're just – they could go in either direction right now. So I think it would be, they'd have to be cautionary in terms of adding uh, to their teams. They have to watch what they give up. But I could see Duchesne ending up in Nashville because they wanted him when he was with Colorado and was on the block. Things didn't end up working out. They were still involved with that three-team trade and ended up landing Kyle Turris. So I could see them maybe making a move to add him because David Polly's shown time and again he doesn't He's okay with trading his first and second round picks if it makes the team better in the short run, which their their window is wide open right now. If you don't know how many cracks you're going to get at the cup final, and if Duchesne puts them over the top, I think they're going to be all in on it. And the thing with Nashville is they really do have the defensive depth to maybe give up a guy for, um, for Duchesne, but scoring-wise on the offensive side, it's been like a top-line base scoring for Nashville. They really have not been playing the best hockey as of late. And right, their their top six is very they're very top heavy in terms of their scoring. It's those first two lines doing most of the work and then they're just getting tons of points from their defense. So I mean Duchesne can almost be a third liner there. Or he could slot somebody else down, like a, a tourist or someone else. I mean I the way I look at Matt Duchesne, he's a very good second line center or a first line winger. Mm-hmm. Like he's got that versatility. I think he's what the, I'd compare him to what Nick Schmaltz could be potentially just where he could play both center and wing and have very high upside at either. So certainly when you add him to a team, it's almost like, like when the Cubs added Ben Zobrist, he can play a lot of different positions and help in a lot of different ways. So I think he's probably, obviously Panarin's the biggest name available, but I think Duchesne's, the most attractive piece to a contender. Even still, it's the same thing as Panarin, where Duchesne, you know, he's going to be a free agent after this year, so he might not re-sign. But even if, uh, you know, even bringing him in just for this playoff run could help Nashville just like a ton against a team like Winnipeg Jets. Or but right now, they're shaping up to play the St. Louis Blues. So having a guy like Duchesne on their team definitely could help. You bring up a guy like Nick Schmaltz, and uh, we were talking about buyers and sellers in the West, and it really it shines a light on what kind of trades I think might be made. Uh, the Blackhawks earlier this year, they traded Nick Schmaltz for um, Dylan Strome. 
uh, and Brandon Perlini. And, you know, that worked out well for both sides. Both sides, they get a fresh new player with a lot of upside to them. Um, it was a smart hockey move for the Hawks in perspective because you bring in a guy that could work really well with Alex Brinkett. And yes, you're losing a good player too, but you're gaining an even better player back. I think a lot of teams aren't going to be really considering their, themselves buyers or sellers, just kind of making the right moves for themselves, you know? Right. I think the the whole mindset of the trade deadline has evolved maybe within the last three years where teams don't necessarily mortgage their future. They're thinking now every time a, a trade happens, teams are thinking, you know, three, four years down the line. So I think you'd see more trades like that. Players, especially on these fringe teams, they don't they want to acquire a guy that's going to be here next year. They're not trying to get a rental. They want to make a hockey move that will help their team benefit in the long run, kind of. I referenced this in my article the other day, the Andrew Ladd for Tumarutu trade. That was two players that needed a change of scenery, and they both had success initially with their new teams, Chicago and Carolina. And I think a team like the Blackhawks or the Canucks will be looking just to add those type players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Blackhawks actually made a trade today. Uh, they trade defenseman Darren Radish to the Rangers for forward Peter Holland. Um Obviously, just two HL-level guys. Holland's a forward, so uh, that kind of clears up a right-handed defenseman that could definitely be a prospect like Adam Botquist or Nicholas Boudin in the future. So um, even the Hawks right now making some moves, but it's just kind of some minor transactions. I don't really see them making any big moves come this deadline, but just maybe some more minor deals where they're trading some uh, different prospective players, you know? The first thing I'll say about that trade was I was disappointed because Radish had played on the Iriotters with Dylan Strom and Alex DeBrinkett, so I thought we'd be getting they'd be getting that band back together, and maybe those guys could help recruit Connor McDavid <laughs> to waive his no movement clause to the Hawks. But uh, in all fairness, I think you hit that nail on the head that it's just opening a spot for some of these younger defensemen coming in, whether it be Boquist or Bodan or even uh, you know Ian Mitchell, Chad Chris from Boston University. The Hawks kind of have this glut of pros- defensive prospects forming, so they just need to open up spots for some of them. And I wouldn't look too much into this trade. Holland, I think Scott Powers tweeted that he's a free agent at the end of the year, so he could very well be gone, but they were just opening up a spot for somebody else in the minor league system. And you think about opening up spots, like look at the Hawks' top six defensemen right now. You got uh, Kate, uh, Keith and Seabrook and... Murphy and all those different guys. However, they plan to be playing uh, Bodquist and Boudin and even Yoki Haru will probably be back next season. Yeah, I, it's it's a predicament what they had themselves in right now, which is why I think that one of or all of Carl uh, Dahlstrom, Slater Cuckoo, and Gustav Forsling might not be with the team next year just because they have so many players that fit that build with their guys in their mid twenties that have some upside, but don't seem to have it all figured out yet. Uh, those guys could, one of those guys could be around as a seventh defenseman, but you look at the guys they have under contract for next year. There's, they have Keith and Seabrook are going to be here. I don't, don't look too much into that. The Hawks trading at either of them at the deadline. That probably won't happen. Mm-hmm. And then Connor Murphy's here for the foreseeable future. I'd be shocked if they trade Eric Gustafson. I think they still 
want to see what they have in him and see if he can contribute in the future. And then, so that's four already. And then Yoki Haru, you figure he's going to make the team right out of camp next year. So you have five spots pretty much locked up. So it's going to be interesting seeing how they fit because it's these three prospects are really high on, but then they, you never know who else in the minors can end up panning out. If a, a Chad Chris or a Dennis Gilbert could end up coming and having a really impressive training camp and making the team. I so would, it's going inter- to be interesting to see how Bowman handles this. Yeah, I wouldn't really even be surprised if you see a guy like Gustafson or um, Cuckoo shipped off by the trade deadline. Um, or even Dahlstrom, because I think part of the reason that Yoki Haru was sent down was that they wanted to shop some of these defensemen and give them some significant ice time before the trade deadline. And I feel like keeping Yoki Haru in the minors for the rest of the season just isn't smart for the team, because there's a lot of hockey left this year. Whether or not it's meaningful or not, Yoki Haru is probably one of the best defensemen on the Hawks system right now. I'd say um, he's certainly one of the top three they have. So even keeping... when he when he was up here playing, he was playing top minutes with Keith. And right, you could argue he was maybe doing better than Keith in some aspects of the game. Yeah. So I think if they are trying to push for their playoffs, Henry Yokiharu needs to be in their lineup. And I think we could see a call up come for him after the deadline. You know, whether it's because somebody got moved or maybe because that's where they stand them that they know they're going for it, so they need they need their best guy in the. Speaking of another best guy in the Hawks lineup, Corey Crawford. Um, you know, we all we all see the news. He's expected to come back within a week or so. Um, do you read much into that with also the fact that they just signed Colin Delia to a three-year extension? Uh, this Crawford situation is difficult. I think he's... If he can come back, be what he was... Before his first concussion, I think he's your guy for next season. But I think the Delia signing, that's locking him up for the future. It's very low risk and could have a huge reward. So I think that was smart that they locked him up for cheap because you saw what that uh, the Oilers signed. Uh, who was it? Koskinen. He was making yeah. – they signed him for $4.5 million. So I think the Hawks definitely – that was one of the best deals Stan Bowman's given to a young player – keeping him around so I think that was a move that could help in the future because they signed him for three years and Crawford's deal will be <coughs> maybe if he comes back this season and he, he's obviously going to be their guy if he's back and then see how things go next season so I think in 2020 that's when they're going to make the decision but right now I think they're going to roll with their veterans Corey Crawford and Cam Ward because even Delia's kind of came back to earth uh, he, he was really impressive when he first came in, but now he's looked a little more human. His rebound control has been a little shaky. He's had a few rough games. So maybe if he does finish the year in Rockford, plays in some the Calder Cup playoffs, it could help him from a developmental standpoint. I see where you're at there with that, but at the same time, I wouldn't really mind seeing the Hawks ship out Cam Ward should Crawford come back. Um you know, I think Cam Ward's just an insurance policy because you don't Crawford's health is so you don't know what could happen with him. He could. You're right. But even if he does come back, he you don't know if he's going to be ready, if he's going to be conditioned enough. Because that was kind of the worry too when he was 
first plane this year was that he admitted his conditioning wasn't that good because he hadn't been able to skate or work out because of the concussion. I so you don't know what kind of physical shape he'll be in. I see what you mean, but at the but, same time, there's a market for a backup goalie out there. Like Vegas, um, besides Marc-Andre right, Fleury, yeah. they've been struggling, so they could definitely use a guy like Cam Ward. Same with, actually, even Calgary needs a backup goalie. So Right, so I think you could see the Hawks trading Ward. And then they could roll with Crawford and Delia. And if if Crawford does get hurt, see what Antoine Forsberg has in him. He's looked very improved in the minors this year. So I think, yeah, trading word wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I also think if Crawford comes back and is healthy, it'll be Delia that they Sundown. move just because they want to see him playing every night. Rather, Because if Crawford's back, he's going to be playing. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you there. Um, you know, you mentioned a funny thing, the Edmonton Oilers with uh, signing their goalie to a $4 million extension. Uh, news came out today, Brandon, Brandon Manning, the ex-Chicago Blackhawk, uh, future Hall of Famer, if you will, um, <laughs> was sent down to the minors. So we'd like to give Edmonton a big round of applause for taking on that $2 million contract uh, for Brandon Manning. Um, yeah, kudos to Stan Bowman for being able to move that for Drake Kajula, who was a productive NHL player. And I don't think he's going to be, he's currently playing in the top six right now, but I think long term he's going to be, he could be a really good third line player and kind of like an Andrew Shaw that could help this team in the foreseeable future. So I mean, a lot of people are calling for Stan Bowman's head this season, but I think being able to correct his mistakes and make a move like that has shown that he can still be the guy for the Blackhawks this so I, re- I really don't know what kind of deal he made for them to accept uh, Brennan Manning for Drake Kajulia because Kajulia has just been playing great. And, right. you know, I was a really big proponent of, I was not for them putting uh, Taze and Kane on the same line. I, yeah, I think, yeah, I was against that for a while, but you see kind of the way all the contenders are going right now. They're all putting their top guys together, whether it be, I mean, Colorado, they're essentially a one-line team. Uh, uh, Boston with Bergeron and Marchand and Pasternak when he was healthy. So I think that's kind of the way teams are going because there's the market's so saturated where teams aren't as deep as they used to be because of the cap that you just have to put your best players together in order to win games. And so I, I think almost... it's certainly working for the Hawks. I don't but eventually you want them to be... Go ahead. I think eventually the hope is that their young guys will be able to produce and they'll be deep enough where they can break up these guys and certain try players or or even Kane. But I think the way all the lines are working right now, it's a chemistry thing. You see the line the way that second line's been playing with Strom, the Brinkett, and Cahoon. So then if those three have chemistry, you don't want to break that up while they're hot and then put Kane and Taves together because they've certainly been tearing it up together in this recent stretch. So I think right now they're just sticking with what's working. I'd almost even have to argue that the line with uh, Strom, Debrinkhead, and Calhoun might be the Hawks more explosive out of those two lines. Um, right, and uh, and you look at the way that could be a matchup nightmare because – 
the way, however, Jeremy Collin wants to use that line because obviously most teams are going to put their top defensive pairing or top shutdown offensive line or forward line against the Kane line because he's so hot. So if Jeremy Carlton can put that second line out there against, you know, a weaker defensive pairing or even uh, a bad defensive forward unit, that could really result in some matchup nightmares that can a lot of goals. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how the young coach uses that line. It will be. And I, Patrick Kane is just playing through the roof this year. Uh, this is arguably an even better campaign than what he put up when he won the heart in uh 2016 the only problem is you also have other guys in the league that are putting up phenomenal seasons um you know Patrick Kane is just a workhorse he's 30 years old and he's competing with all the younger guys who would have thought we'd be calling Kane a veteran older guy in the NHL already um and I think if the Hawks make the playoffs you almost certainly have to give Kane the heart because he's been carrying this team He's been playing at his best, even when they were struggling. So I think he's not going to have to go right for to win the heart. I mean, obviously, Cooper is having a great season. And even Johnny Goudreau is a dark horse candidate. But I think Kane is certainly deserving of a nod. I, I feel like at the same time, too, it's Kucherov's putting on a phenomenal season. And, you know, no disrespect to him, but the amount of talent that is also on his team that that's definitely a factor to consider that you look at Kane and he's doing more with less. I mean, who's Kucherov playing with right now? Stam close and Palat. Like that's anybody. I, I could score 20 goals playing with those two. Just, but you look at the way also like Kucherov is getting 60 assists just because he's passing these guys. Like Kane, he doesn't necessarily have the same caliber of players to pass to. And he's still putting up, you know, multi-point games almost every night. I feel like Kane's success also kind of mimics a Taylor Hall success a few years ago when he basically single-handedly brought New Jersey to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Right. That last season, him and Nico Heischer, they put the team on their back. Each, each of them were scoring at a point-per-game pace. So that that definitely a lot. And then, he's so, so Kane's scoring at that pace, and then now Taves has stepped it up. Arguably, maybe he was doing hot before they paired him with Kane, but now his game's certainly gone up another level by playing with Kane. So each of those two are just carrying his team. So it's almost cert- certainly mimicking what Hall did last year. And it's when you talk about the Hawks top two lines, there's no question about how great they are. And then you start looking at the bottom six and you know, your hands just have to go up in the air and say, what, what the heck, you know, uh, <coughs> Brandon Sod's played some pretty good hockey this year. He's having actually yeah. pretty quiet, great season right I think he's he's going to quietly put up 25 goals but people expect so much out of him that they're not going to be satisfied with that and even him on that line with Anisimov you'd think that could be if they find a good right winger for that whether it be Brandon Perlini or, or Chris Kunitz or John Hayden but they just can't find a third guy on that line but you'd think you put two established players like Sad and Anisimov on your third line that would be a, a good problem to have, but it just seems like that, that that secondary scoring hasn't been there. I almost feel like they would they wouldn't mind putting side with Kane and Taze, but then that just ruins your bottom six so much more than it already is. Right, because you Anisimov he scored twenty goals in the past couple of seasons, but he 
he almost benefits from playing with good players. Like he needs a fast winger to get those pucks to net, and then he will crash in on the rebounds. I don't think he's the type of player that can carry his own line. So I think having Saad in the bottom six is a luxury, and it's really what's carrying their bottom six and the depth scoring. But they need somebody else to step up, whether it be Perlini or Hayden or even Marcus Kruger. Somebody's got to start scoring. And maybe now that David Comp is out of the lineup, that this could be the opportunity for Dylan Secura to sign or to shine since he, he was their top prospect going into the year. And he's still yet to get his first NHL goal. I, I agree with you there. And it just kind of the bottom six, I feel like that is the group of guys that, you know, when a team doesn't have success, like the Hawks haven't had for the first part of the season, and it might hinder their uh, options of making the playoffs. I really don't see a lot of those bottom six guys coming back next year. Yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how they handle that. Like, uh, I think Marcus Kruger is probably – they're going to move on from him just in favor of playing younger centers or whatever the opportunity be. I think he's kind of a player where if they – on a good, he makes a good team great with the things he does, but he doesn't necessarily. He's not able to do that with this team because he's almost expected to produce offense, which isn't his game. So I think you know they're going to move on from him. Maybe even John Hayden. He's a he's an enigma because he's shown signs of of being a productive player, but it just doesn't seem like he's getting the ice time this year. He's averaging something like seven minutes a night, which isn't enough for a 24-year-old. Yeah, you know, Hayden, he's also arguably like one of the biggest framed guys on this team, you know? He, to me, his play should mimic a more skilled Brian Bickle, you know? Right. He's, he's big. He should he should honestly be playing some a lot more minutes than he's getting. Um, which makes me think that's why they're, they're going to move on from him. I don't, it, it's weird. You don't know what the reason is. Like, he made a couple defensive mistakes in that Boston game. But, okay, so you bench him for that. That's going to ruin his confidence. Like, Jeremy Carlton's supposed to be able to work with the young players. But if he's doing the same stuff Joel Quinville was, where he's benching these guys for their mistakes, I don't see how that's going to help. You're right. And I just wonders, even if – I feel like if you trade Hayden, he might be one of the guys that can bring in the most, um, like, yeah, he could, back, you know, he, he it's kind of like get a, a prospect for him or even the third round draft pick or something, I think. But maybe put him on I like think almost you need to get a player for him. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, talking about the lad for Rutu trade again, that could be if you could get another bottom six fringe player for him that just needs to change the scenery too, that could help. I think the worst part about the Hartman trade, though, I think. It hurt that they didn't get anyone that was NHL ready for him because Victor Edgesell kind of seems like he's his star has faded. I feel like they have to give him a shot, though. Like It's kind of like the whole Dylan Sakura thing with Victor Edgesell. Um, Edgesell, he's a big guy, you know, and the Hawks don't have many big guys on their team. So just even to give him a shot with the season coming to a close, if they aren't going to make the playoffs, which... You know, they're playing Ottawa tonight, and they could be one point out of the playoffs. So this is all assuming that they go on a four- or five-game losing streak here. But I wouldn't really mind seeing them give some of those minor league guys a shot. Right. You know? 
that if you that if Yogi Hart was playing at the end of the year, or even yeah, Secura or Edsel, the right now the prospect cupboard's pretty bare, but maybe give some guys that haven't had a chance yet, give them an opportunity. Because you never know who could step up. Maybe if Alexander Fourteen gets another look, or if you give uh, Graham Knott or Matthew Highmore a look, that they can end up shining just because of the opportunity. It's kind of the way it was in the early years of this dynasty where they were just giving all these young guys chances without really putting any expectations on them. And they kind of like, oh, look, this guy's good. This Dave Boland can stick around, Troy Brower. It's just all these guys play, were able to make it because they were given a chance. I think so, the problem was when they started putting too much expectations on those guys. Look at a guy like um, TiVo Teravainen. Oh, man, that is... His rookie season, you know, they expected him to be a top six guy, and he they only could settle with him in the top nine. So that they use him as trade bait to get rid of. I, I still think that wasn't the right decision to do with him because now you're looking at him in Carolina. He's a first line player there. I think they didn't know what to do with him in terms of he was a center or a wing, and then they wanted him to, to be scoring more, but he's shown in Carolina he's more of a pass-first player. He can really make some fantastic passes that few players in the league can. But we traded him after his rookie season. Right. Which he won the player, Stanley Cup in. You, yeah, they were judging him with too limited a sample size, which doesn't always seem to work. I think if you're going to move on from someone decisions immediately like you trading a player at 20 years old or 21 it, it's it could be too soon and that's that's the worry with you know John Hayden or Gustav Forsling that if they go somewhere else because they're all so young you forget about these guys like they've been around for three seasons but then you look at how young they are that's they could they're still college age students so it's crazy to think that so if they get an opportunity somewhere else and develop later in their 20s it could look bad for the Blackhawks it really could and it, it's happened before with the Hawks with like Philip Donald and Tivo Teravainen unfortunately it's, I always hate seeing Carolina play just because Tivo Teravainen should be on our team right now you know right I, there you could make a, a whole lineup out of players that got away you could throw Nick Letty in there just yeah, that's and that's where you can make the argument that, that Stan Bowman could have been fired. But you also look at what he's done in these recent years. He's made up for for losing all these high-skilled players by sort of these diamonds in the rough, whether it be Dylan Strom or Alex DeBrinkin in the second round. So I'm, I'm confident in this management going into the draft and the offseason that they can find players to surround this core with. And I really don't think the Hawks are worried about what round they pick their guys because you mentioned Alex Brinkett, who the Hawks got in the second round and who is now fourth in his draft class in scoring. Right. And you, so. you look at what the Hawks have done with their first-round picks. Granted, none of these guys are on the team anymore, but Hartman was 30th overall. Schmaltz was 20th. Teravine was 18th. Even Filton, I think he was like 24th. So Bowman's shown he can find productive players later in the first round. So even if they are picking, they could still find someone, you know, worthwhile. 
last offseason, the Hawks draft was all about getting defensemen. And they did that through the first couple picks of the draft. So I think this year especially, it has to be about forwards, you know? Oh, um, yeah. I think at least they're forward. But I also think they'll be int- they'll be looking at the college free agent market, the international market, too. Uh, Bowman's really proven that he could find forwards from all over the place. I, the Hawks' international scouting has really been impressive these last few years. I, I, I won't call Panarin a find because everybody, he was one of the top players in the KAL. Everybody knew he'd be a stud. But they were able to find productive players like David Kemp or, or um, Dennis Rask for the time he was here. So the Hawks can find guys overseas that are able to come in and play for them. So it'll be interesting to see who they sign and where they find these guys. Even Calhoun too, you know, he wasn't right. Basically yeah, they found came him out of nowhere. Germany. He was he was very not much was known about him going into camp. Then now he's turned into one of the Hawks' key contributors this season. So yeah, I, I look so. for more of those low risk, high reward moves this off season. Because even if you draft a guy in the third or fourth round, a center, he might not be ready for three years. But you look at some of these international signings, sign like a, a 23-year-old from Sweden, he could be ready this season or next season. So I expect them to make some moves like that. It'll be interesting to see, that's for sure. Um, you know, as we close out another episode of Under the Lights, who's one team that you think is most likely, you know, not going to be going that deep in the playoffs that's in a spot right now. Ooh, that's a tough one. I, When you look out, the, the division leaders of Tampa Bay, the Islanders, Winnipeg, and Calgary. Right now, so we're just talking division leaders? Yeah. Okay, I, I think the Islanders, if we're talking about division leaders, because I don't think they're they have the depth to compete with some of these contenders well they have been just uh, the ultimate surprise I, I don't think anybody knew they'd be this good going into the season but i think when it comes to the playoffs you need to have four lines that you could just roll and you know six defensemen and they don't have that yet i think they could add to that this offseason but right now they're not going to be able to compete with a tampa bay or even toronto i think so i think they'll be the first division leader to be upset yeah, and I especially am shocked that the Islanders are doing so good because the only thing they really did this offseason was lose John Tavares. Well, they made some depth I mean, they brought additions. in a coach. But... Uh, well, yeah, Barry Trotz, one of the best coaches in the game, but even adding some guys like Matt Martin or Leo Komarov, and they they kind of have just a surplus of depth players to complement Matt Barzell. Like, you look, they have Andrew Ladd, uh, Cal Clutterbuck, just all these third line guys that they're playing in the top six that have just kind of been doing well because somebody has to be scoring these goals. You're right. Now the Hawks are currently down 1-0 in their game against the uh, Ottawa Senators, so we're going to watch that game closely to see what kind of difference it makes. Uh, There might be some articles coming out later on that, but uh, Leo, it was great having you on the show today. What's up? Thanks a lot for having me. All right, we'll see you next time. See ya.